The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, guys. Today's scripture is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Uh, it's on the screen on the screen behind me, and in the Bibles under your chairs. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of, your, of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Let me uh, open with prayer, and uh, we will go from there. Father, we uh, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds, our ears to uh, hear, to see, and to receive the things which are of you, and to uh, discount the things which um, are not. And I pray, uh, I just pray for our church that uh, we would continue to grow uh, in your likeness, image, um, in the knowledge of the things of God and the things you desire for us, and in how we're to display to this world who you are through how we behave. Uh, thank you again for this time and the opportunity to teach on this lesson. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I like carol dancing, by the way. Thank you. Uh, there's rejoicing. I, th I think God's going to see some things going on in the future where, uh, you know, David did some dancing too, and it's recorded, and I think it's recorded for a good reason. So uh, thank you for uh, the, just the joyful expression there for me this morning. Let's start our stopwatch here, and we are off and rolling. So um, I want to give a little disclaimer this morning that, that the views of the speaker, my name is Jonathan Shanks, by the way, I'm one of the elders here at DOXA, the views of the speaker do not necessarily represent DOXA Church or the EFCA as a whole. All right, little disclaimer here, you just got, you got to be careful when you, when you walk across certain passages like this because there are, there, it rubs against our culture and I think more so against how we live within our church. And then all of a sudden you bring these things up in church and people aren't happy. Um, and so with that, just a little bit of a heads up, I guess, for lack of better words. So I was looking at this um, marriage rituals. People from foreign countries have some weird things they do when they get united in that initiation process. And so I was reading on this, and, and I'll give you a couple of these weird things that kind of set people apart from others in their preparation or the actual marriage ceremony. Uh, for Ch In China, uh, there, there's a... a Tijuan people, um, the bride-to-be is actually required to begin weeping an hour a day for the month that precedes the wedding. And they also encourage this, their family to weep with her. Now, there may be something to that, you know, for some of you ladies going, I should have tried that too. I, I didn't see the truck coming, right? So 
they got something there. Uh, Mauritania, they, they think in Mauritania, a large full-bodied woman, uh, they've said that diplomatically, is said to signi signi signify good luck and prosperity in marriage to the point that they're literally like to trying to fatten up brides before they get them down the altar. Uh, just kind of crazy there, but there might be something again to it. Weddings in Indonesia in the Taidong uh, community. They have a tradition where people, um, where, where the groom isn't allowed to see the bride face to face until he sings her several love songs. And there's a curtain kind of keeping it in between. So Jamin probably cut the sermon short, the ceremony short, and I'd be there for hours and questioning whether there would ever be a wedding if I'm the one raising my voice. So, so setting aside these quirky marriage customs, marriages in the world really basically, when you think about it, the world over look the same. You know, you can have some rituals and some trappings, but when you pop the hood, you've got the same thing going on. And Peter's really taking this head on this morning. You know, you have two selfish human beings being put together under one roof and being united. And, and it doesn't look good. And so Peter's saying, hey, you know, this, if, if we are truly in Christ, it should look different. And I think that's the, really the message where we're going this morning in, in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Peter gives this the answer truly for how this should look different. So to put this passage kind of in context, we, we've been going through 1 Peter, and we've been looking at how in Peter's day, these new believers were to be living their lives in a manner that would display a different set of standards that would showcase that they were actually followers, or followers of Christ. And, and really for us today, it's, it's no different that, that we are to be living lives that showcase the person of Christ. And those disciplines, as they've started in Peter, how do we, where do we set ourselves apart? We, we set ourselves apart in our personal lifestyle habits, our behaviors toward each other, and in particular within the church. There's nothing worse than seeing two Christians fighting. The world looks at that and says, really? Are you kidding me? Well, and, and now beyond that within the church that we set ourselves apart as our respect and submission toward the authority over who's ever placed in that position in our lives. Um, whether that today currently would be a government and our employers or, or in Peter's day over slaves and, and those ruling authorities. Um, and really the attitude toward governments. I look at um, politics in America and, and you can't tell the venom coming out of a Christian and a non-Christian by a lot on given days if you're reading social media. And again, I know people on social media, and you read the post and you go, how different is this? And again, I'm not saying we don't voice an opinion or have a concern about the things going on, but when it becomes venomous, it becomes a poor testimony. And that really does, it says nothing to say we've been set apart. And so from last week, it turns to wives now to display their love for Christ by how they live with their husbands. And so this week, we focus solely on a husband's behavior toward his wife in particular, so women, I want to give you just a little another disclaimer. Now, women, if you would like to take notes for your husband, you feel free. If you're courting and, and you'd like to take notes for your future spouse, you may do that. If you would expose, if you're married, if you would expose your husband's toes just a little bit, it would make my job much easier. But other than that, you got to wash. You can sleep if you, if you don't want to help me out there on both of those. It really does consider husbands. And this whole thing rises and falls on you as men. Let me say it again. This whole Christianity thing in the home rises and falls with us as men. And I'm not saying that a woman can't be godly and serve her husband and love her children, but the home, the game changer, rises and falls 
on a husband, whether he accepts that role or responsibility. It's no different than a military commander leading a platoon into battle. That, that, that battle, is the outcome rises and falls on the level of leadership. You, you can't get away with some of these facts. So with having said that, um, the motivation we're talking about here, again, is really that a behavior change takes place when Christ enters the believer and indwells them. So if you're unsaved, this whole thing's a wash. You, you can do some good works, that may get you somewhere, and may get you even a relatively, quote, happy wife in, in the short term. But it makes, it makes no difference for, for the eternal destiny that you have, as well as for displaying who the person of Christ is to a lost world. So with that, I want to pick up and, and unpack just a little bit more of verses 1 through 6 with wives, because Verse 7 hinges upon, to some extent, what's in verses 1 through 6. So 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 6. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband. Your own husband. You got that right, ladies? Just to remind you, your own husband. I had a friend of mine say, Dad, do you think I'll have a husband? And, she, and he said, you'll probably have quite a few, but I hope he'll be your own. So just leaving it here to our own husbands, just with that. Submit your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wives. And there, there's the power of a testimony. There's the power of God displayed in the home. Unbelievable. When they see the purity and reverence in your lives. Your beauty should not, should not come from outward adornment. That doesn't mean you can't wear something nice, by the way. Some people take that off and it's, it's madness. It makes, it's, it's inconsistent. Um, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be, and here's the focus, it should be on your inner self and the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So it's basically allocating importance. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted, them, they, they submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah. Now, this is interesting, and we didn't touch on this last week, but it, it bleeds right into verse 7. Like Sarah who obeyed Abraham. And now, what are we talking about here? What is this situation we're talking about with Abraham? And called him Lord. You are daughters of her if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So you're saying, why is this fear? What are we bringing up with fear? Why are we talking about Sarah and calling him Lord? And having fear. Well, where would it have been a situation in Sarah and Abraham's life where Sarah would have been full of fear? And it flows from a bonehead move by Abraham. Where in Israel, there's a Canaan, there's a, there's a famine. And Abraham comes up with this great idea, I should go to Egypt. Now he forgets his wife, his bombshell wife. And, and he takes her down there and all the eyes are turned toward her. And now the, the tradition would be, if I wanted your wife, I'd kill you. So he doesn't want to die. He says, Sarah's my sister. Now, how do you think Sarah feels about all this? And so Pharaoh takes her in. Says, ah, I like her too. We'll try this out. And, and Pharaoh takes her in. How, what type of fear? She's listening to her husband and, and following his orders when he's doing shockingly stupid things. Any wives, anything, anyone? Get, I get an amen to that? All right, thank you. Good. I just want to make sure you're awake this morning. I told you this isn't going to be fun. She was full of fear. Saying, I'm about to have this marriage bed. I've made a commitment to this man, and he just shovels me off to somebody else because he's worried about his hide. That's the unabridged Jonathan version, by the way. All right? 
yet she obeyed him. And we know the story goes that God protected her while in Pharaoh's court. And so he's saying, this is the way a woman does it, even if your husband's a bonehead, but I'll honor you, and you'll be blessed, and you'll be counted worthy that if you follow through and obey and submit to the husband. So that's where this kind of falls into place. So, so this, this power through Sarah, she stands tall and shines. And so he, here's where this kind of bleeds into where we are. Just catch up with my notes here. Um, the, the passage culminates with this illustration with Sarah, but really the bottom line of the passage is, is that we all have authorities we're going to submit to. And in this particular case, they were saying submit to the authority with regard to her husband. Now, the word submit is a bad word. It, it gets way too much. It gets misconstrued rapidly. The Greek word, and I'm going to butcher it, is hupaso. It means to be under authority. And so some of you military men may get this real quickly. Is it demeaning for a corporal to come under the authority of a sergeant's authority? Does anyone say, oh, I'm feeling less than, I got to submit to my, I got to submit to this, this sergeant's authority. Do you ever hear that in the military? Anyone ever complaining in the military about submitting to authority ever? Make the point even a little stronger. Do you think the value of a person buried in Arlington National Cemetery is based upon the rank at the time of their death or simply based upon the fact they gave their life for the country? And so this authority thing, this submission, gets so twisted because I, truly it's Satan's attack on the family. And, and people take that word and run with it, and it's completely out of context. So to put that now into authority, she's simply coming under his authority, standard Protocol for rule of law and hierarchy. And, and we're going to get to why, for me as a man, I don't think that's really a great deal personally, but we'll talk about that down the road. So we have this illustration that the, the wife, through her heart change, conforms certain behaviors within the home. And so we turn into verse 7 now, and, and we see the, I want to give you the foundation really for verse 7, because the basis of man's authority in his home was given to him in the garden. It wasn't, oh, I think I want to be in control. It's, here's your job. Man was given the responsibility and primarily of spiritual leadership. And if you're spiritually leading, the emotional and the physical fall right in alignment and behind with that. There, there's no issue there. And so with that, that's really summarized or, or culminates in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. It says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Oh, well, that's a rotten deal. I don't want to submit to Christ. Is, is that what we say? And you go, no, that's crazy. Fact. The head of every man is Christ, so I am subject to him. The head of every woman is man. Okay, just another structure. And the head of Christ is God. Now, I don't see Christ whining about having to submit to his father, although he did ask at times, is there a way out of this? You know, there were some uncomfortable situations, so we just live with that. And so when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God called Adam to account, not Eve. He was the one placed in the position of authority. And so... Let me just back you up. Free information for the ladies here this morning. There are times that I know ladies, in my midst at least, say, I feel like he's not listening. Like, is he sleeping when I'm talking to him? And so I want to say, I'm going to give, give a little defense here for the men. In the garden, Scripture records that in order to take a rib out, he put man into a deep sleep. Scripture never records he came out of it. So just if you think the guy's asleep at times, we got to give him a pass there. So, so by keeping this in context, we pick up in verse 7. And I'm, and I'm going to go through three translations because you're going to get a real feel for the gist of where things are going. The ESV that we use here at Doxa. 
Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. New King James, I like that one. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them in understanding. So dwells changed a little bit there, understanding comes in. New American Standard says, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so the first question would be, what do you mean in the same way? And you've gotta put that back into the context of the passage we're reading in. Peter has just spoken about the submission to governments, slaves submitting to masters, and wives submitting to the husbands. And there's this running theme of submission and now husbands are being addressed. And so let me give you like the Jonathan translation to this passage and see if this makes sense. A husband, fully aware and knowing of the spiritual hierarchy and how one pleases the Lord when under his authority, it is with this understanding or in the same manner of submission to the Lord, live with your wife. Not thinking that you are better or more important or in some way using this to your advantage, but rather knowing we are all subject to God-ordained authorities. Now in this manner, coexist with your wife in the full knowledge of the foregoing. That's to put it in the same way. And, and so when an when a immature or non-believer sees this passage, they take this, I'm king of the home. But when truly when a man of God reads this passage, there's only one conclusion, that, he, that his mission in life is to exhaust himself in outserving his wife on every frontier under the roof of that house. That's what it means. See, I, I'm the one to set the model for outserving within my home. Peter, 1 Peter 1.14 tells us, gives us the command, no longer to no longer be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. So he's saying, now you know better to man up and understand your duties to serve and to love your wife in this context. So continuing on, the ESV, the second half of this sentence, it says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. New American Standard, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as fellow heir of the grace of life. In the New King James, giving honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. There's this theme coming through there. And being heirs together in the grace of life. So the Greek word for weaker is, and I'm, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. It's P-O-I-E-O. -E and I'm going to leave it there. Which is actually a verb which means to do, to establish, or to keep. This is the only time in scripture it uses the word which translates into weaker. So you kind of scratch your head and say, well, what are we really saying here? Well, part of it right out of the gate is that it's a self-evident fact is that husbands physiologically are stronger. We are wired as the provider, the protector. When people try to say, oh, there's no difference, our culture today is pushing to say, oh, women and women are the same. We should all be able to do everything equally. And that's madness. It's, it's madness in the face of what's blatantly apparent. Physiologically, a man, 99 out of 100 men are going to be stronger physiologically. We, we have a bent toward being a provider and a protector versus the woman having a bent toward a nurture. That might also explain why men are dying younger than women. That's a different story. Again, I say some of this is a bad deal for men because um, physiologically, our activity, I believe, takes a toll. And so with that, 
we have to acknowledge there's a disparity. And so we give honor in caring. When you think about how we honor anybody, it is we come alongside of them and, and, and we acknowledge, do regard, and, and honor it is to help, to care, to love, to respect, to exalt, to backstop. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that comes in honor. When you really honor somebody, you, you're going to live a sacrificial way to exalt them. And so in light of how the passage ends, one commentator made a really interesting statement that I like. Um, and it's summarized in light of the fact that she is weaker, where it says the husband is to keep her, to establish her, and to honor her due to her vulnerability as being a weaker physical being. And that makes natural sense. I mean, you're, you're in a night parking lot. Your husband's got his, his radar on looking around to make sure bad things aren't going to happen to you. That, that just comes with the plumbing. So having said that, the honor is also due simply, and I shouldn't say due simply, but it's due to her being an outgrowth of being a sister in Christ. That, that in the life to come, we're simply joint heirs. Again, it's like the same honor that you would give to somebody buried in Arlington. You don't walk up and say, give a little more honor. And if you notice in Arlington, there is nothing that notes a disparity. There's a rank in things noted. But there's not bigger crosses for higher ranking people and littler crosses for others. You walk out, the, all the crosses are the same. And in Christ, in the life to come, the people, the, the, whether male or female, are all the same. And again, Scripture backs that. So further in the life to come, just simply a joint heir. So the verse concludes with a really what I, I consider an incredibly sobering statement, uh, disconcerting to me. It says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And you could read this a handful of different ways. You could say, well, well will it affect my prayer life? Will it affect God listening to my prayers? Um, how will it, it, it what, what does it do? And, and really the bottom line is that your communication with God is impaired when your relationship with your spouse is compromised. And you, you can slice that any way you like. Genesis 2.24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. And if the two are not one in body, mind, and spirit, can they act like one before God? And the answer is no. And the same problem when there was a problem in the garden, who did God hold to account? wasn't Eve. I mean, there were consequences to Eve, but the primarily accounting was to man. And what he's saying again is if there's a problem in this relationship with your spouse, I'm calling you to account because it's impairing my relationship with you. And so if I'd like God to hear my prayers, I would want to be conscious of how I've got to treat my wife, how I have to live with her. You know, when you think about this again as men, a lot, a lot of men in the secular would say, well, I'm in charge. I guess I think this is turning into a bad deal for men personally. You know, it says this, if there's accounting in the home and there's judgment cast and somebody's head falls into the bucket, it's the man's. It's not the wife. Yes, she's going to deal with consequences, but the failure of leadership is to hold the husband to account before God. Not such a good, I'm not happy with this deal anymore. Madeline, you know, this is not good. Women, I think, have a better, better deal here personally. But again, that might be because I'm lazy and I, and I like my tender flesh kept tender and not beaten. So with that, let me read this a great line. You see, if I am failing in loving my wife in a biblical manner, 
is God saying that he's not going to listen to my prayer? And the answer is, yep. Yeah. There, there, there is compromise. And that should alarm me profoundly. That, that should cause me real concern. Because everything I have hinges upon my relationship with God and his provision that backstops me. And again, think how much Christ would do if he couldn't hear from the Father. He wouldn't do anything. He'd stop dead in his tracks and make sure that line's cleared once again. And again, it's no different for us as biblical husbands. And so I've been talking also, a mention might have slipped about loving our wife, if we're failing in loving our wife. And you're like, Jonathan, wait, it doesn't say that, does it? No, not in this particular passage, but if you consult the full counsel of God, we pick up in Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, and it tells us this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And the only thing I take away from this passage is there are a lot of men who don't love themselves. A lot of men who don't love themselves. And that, that's a horrif horrifying thought. So, so how do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? How, how do we adhere to 1 Peter? And the question is real simple. How did Christ love the church? Basically, upon the introduction to his ministry, he loved the church by sacrificially giving every aspect of his existence for the welfare of the body. The church always came before anything else. And again, that's obviously subject to his relationship with his father being wholly intact. And so I, I want to bring up some things that I'm not going to be popular with. And, and I've thought about this because our culture is toxic and broken. And we've had decades and decades and decades of brokenness spilling over onto the people. And then the people are coming into the church. So what should the church look like if we're not fortifying and backstopping ourselves continuously with the onslaught of the destruction of the marital relationship? What should it look like? And so I want to bring some things up here. I listened to a woman once who said this, and it's really interesting. I, I can tell you where I was standing, the exact location. I never met the woman before. I've never seen her again. Short woman, attractive, probably 38, 40, 42 years of age, and was talking to a guy at a car dealership counter, and I was standing behind her, and he started talking about their marriage, and she said, no, I got divorced. And here's her words, really amazing, that it like seared me. She said, this man is a great father. He's just a lousy husband. And you see, the world says that's possible. And God's word says that's a, that's a bold-faced lie. It's impossible. It's impossible to be a great father without loving your wife. Let me say that again. And again, I'm not saying from the world's standpoint. I'm saying from a spiritual standpoint. And let me tell you why. From a godly standpoint, husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. And so you're in a home as a young child. The, the picture God wants to give you is that the person of Christ is reflected in your dad and the way he treats your wife. And everything flows from that relationship. It can't not and if that child has a skewed up picture of the father and how he loves the wife, 
his concept of God is skewed and you miss the picture. It's the number one snapshot in the history of humanity based on God's word that paints the clearest picture of the way these relationships work and what they illustrate. And if you want to see the relationship that Christ has with his father, you should be looking and that Christ has to the church. The number one snapshot is the way a husband loves his wife. And you can't get around it. So how could this lady make the statement that he's a great father but a lousy husband? And the only way you can is in complete blind spiritual ignorance. That's not a popular statement. Yes, there's wiggle room in some of what I said. So you could say, well, I know somebody who was a good father you know, because the wife died. Okay, I'll give you a pass. They don't get the snapshot then. But the true picture when you distill truth is that that's the picture that God wanted to give to the world in this union of husband and wife. And if, Christ, if, if the husband's not loving her as the way that Christ loved the church, we miss the picture. You miss the fullness of that. I say this because I look at myself, and, and I've made observations over 30 years as a Christian. I'll be celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary this August. I have made catastrophic failures as a husband in the course of those 25 years. I'll own it. But, but we stand here this morning, and I don't want past experiences to be based on future performance. I found, sound like a financial god this morning, right? No, past performances are no ind indicator of future performance because we have the power of a holy God that stepped off his throne, sacrificed his life, and puts all his resources at our disposal here and now. So as we go forward, not looking over your shoulder, as we go forward, there's our model. I'm not here to beat anyone up. If men prioritized their wives over their kids and their work, they would have less problems with their work and their kids. Because this is the way God gave us our priorities. And you say, no, 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 Jonathan, that sounds crazy. I had a job, I got wives. No, that's the lie the world sells us. It's, it's, it's just madness because as soon as you see God's word, the, the world screams, that can't be so. God didn't command us as men to love our wives once the kids were fed and the bills were paid. He calls us to love our wives first and foremost. And men, if you feel that your wife is neglecting you, you could take that anywhere you want, by the way. That's free. That's a free. If you feel like your wife is neglecting you, try this just for some homework. For the next week, go home, take 15 minutes, take 30, 40 minutes off of work early, come home, cook dinner, clean the kitchen, put the kids to bed. And, and, and see if your wife comes dragging her, her bottom into the bedroom saying, I'm whipped and exhausted, I'm going to bed. Just try it. Have you ever heard this? Good counselors will say this, marriage. Sex, sex starts where? In the kitchen. Yeah, it starts in the kitchen. That's where sex starts. If you didn't know that, again, free information. All right? Let me make another statement. In America, we're hearing you can have it all. And you can have a career, and you can have a family, and, and you can do it all, and that's a lie. It's a, it's a, it's a complete lie. And again, I, I think there's a disparity. If you have one kid versus four kids, and, and the amount of career and the time you spend in the work, there are sliding scales on the amount of stuff you can do. But if you think you can have it all, you can't. It's a lie. It's a ploy by Satan to run you completely into the ground, destroy your witness, and render you useless for service in the body of Christ. I, I think about how I've lived, and, and I've done, I don't say this to pat myself on the back. I say this as a testimony. 
I never took up golf. You know why? Not because my last name is Shanks, by the way. All right, you guys got that? Let's be fair. Let's be fair. That, that would be a good, you could jump to that conclusion really quickly if you wanted to. So I'd say, okay. You know why, why I never took up golf? And I'm the I had the privilege of walking into my marriage saved. Some of you didn't get that. Because I could never live with the fact that I'm spending four hours in pleasure of leisure and complete downtime while my wife is staying at home with four kids. And I think there are scores of men who have been playing this game way too long in light of what they're leaving at home. If, if, if us as men, we want to allocate, and I'm saying 50-50, and this is bad. This isn't even a good offer that I'm going to give you because it should, you should be sacrificing more time than what I'm going to offer. But if you want to spend three hours a week or six hours a week or eight hours a week in a hobby while your wife's at home with kids, give her the same time. And do the chores that she's doing while you're out playing golf. All right? Because she'll come home to twice the work. You see, this is the madness. You think, oh, I'll give her the hours. And then poor woman comes home and everything's backed up. She didn't get a break. She got a double workload and a headache is what you gave her. And so if, if we want to take time outside of the home for that type of pleasure and those activities, how about we allocate an equal amount of time? Now, I, biblically, I think you should be allocating more time for her than you with downtime. But if you want to pick up a hobby, there it is. Let me make another statement. If you're not praying with your wife daily, out loud, shame on you. Shame on you. You know, I'm not popular saying this, but, but a home turns and falls upon the spiritual leadership of the husband, and the number one resource at your disposal is prayer. And joining, it's not single one-on-one -on -one prayer between you and you. The two are one. How do you come before a holy God when you're half? You can confess, you can repent today, say, I dropped the ball. And I'm not talking about big, long, windy prayers. God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for protection. Help me not to be an idiot. Amen. We're good. We're good. Now, you've been saying, you know, a lot of this is in the priorities and all these other things. Um, you want to prosper at work? Stop working so much. And that sounds madness. You're like, wait a minute. And I know. I mean, I look at my job and it's just crazy. You want to prosper at work, stop working so much. See, the world says, that's, no, that's a lie. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's look at Proverbs 16, 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. What was first? If you don't have time to heed the instruction, you can't prosper. And at that point, how do you get ahead? You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. We, we fight against the, the flesh and blood and the spiritual realm. In a physical world, the world declares everything we're living according to is a pack of lies. Whoever, whoever heeds to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And Peter's given us that instruction this morning. So what's the takeaway? See, the world can't tell the difference between our marriages and those out, out there. That's the problem. And that's the whole point that Peter's driving home is that you've got to look different. There are some, I think about some other wedding traditions. There's a tradition very popular all over the world. Uh, many believe it started in Rome, Italy. Couples will go to this particular bridge in Italy, by the way, attach a decorated lock to the fence, and then throw the key away. And that symbolizes they'll be bound together forever because they don't have the key to unlock it. 
But it doesn't work like that, right? I think this next tradition we should pick up seriously. In Scotland, there's a nasty pre-wedding tradition that involves the bride and groom being pelted with food trash, including rotten eggs and fish. I think this is great, by the way. And let me tell you why they do this. The Scots believe that if the couple can withstand this, they can withstand anything. Yeah, I like it. I think it works. You know, beat them up in the beginning and see if they can hold up and, and run from there. I mean, I don't know. But I, I don't think that's going to hold a lot of water over time anyway. Maybe we should be more concerned truthfully about with what happens once we get into the marriage versus the, the traditions of leading us into it. You know, the statistics, you know, our federal government stopped keeping marriage stats back in 96. I thought that was fascinating. Didn't know that. Per the American Psychological Association's divorces run 40, 50%, and, and the people who are already divorced have higher numbers. I'm not going to get into stats with you. The marriages aren't working. And I used to always say, oh, but Christian marriages don't have the same failure rate. But if you look in the church, they do. So I've stopped saying Christian marriages. I've started saying marriages in the church. Because if you were a Christian, you'd be following Peter's directives. You'd make your spouse try to outlove her, be praying with her, leading in your role and fulfilling your biblical responsibilities. And the divorce ratio under those con conditions are in the single digits, if at all. So let's not confuse marriages in the church and Christian marriages because they give a bad number. Marriages in the church, same as the secular society. Christian marriages, numbers should be way low. And I'm not saying they don't happen and there aren't things that go wrong. We're living in a broken world. I'll give you that. I wonder, I looked at, a, at an article here, some stats from Women's Day magazine. This is where I go, prepping for Sunday morning teaching. Women's, can you figure that one out? I wind up in all kinds of bad places. No, I'm joking. So, so they did a survey, a survey for women. They're asking women about us. All right, this is great. How's your sex life? They ask women this. 36% of the women responded, what sex life? <laughs> All right. All right. Another 19% said good or satisfying. I love this. Another 18% said pleasant enough. I don't know where they got the words. 16% said dull. And another 10% said, amazing. Now, that 10%, they didn't note it, but I believe it's the first 30 days of marriage. All right, so I'm just going to leave it there. Don't, don't get upset with me. What first attracted you to your husband? His personality, 48%. So there's hope for us after all, right? <laughs> Maybe not for all of us. His looks, 31%. It's hard on some of us. His sense of humor, some redeeming qualities, 17%. His money, 4%. No, and they didn't ask his love for the Lord. Why go there? You know, I, I know, I know, kind of, I look at some men that I really like and respect, but they're not keepers in my view. They're, they married way upscale. I mean, that's not equal stuff with their wives. And you know what sold the wives? Their love for the Lord. Now, you want to marry up? If you're single, good news. Wit, here's, the, here's the secret. You want to marry up if you're a man? Love the Lord with a passion. Eh, you'll be okay. Trust me. What attracts you to him now? All right, in the beginning, we're compared to now and beginning. This is good. This is interesting stuff. 52% his personality, all right, went up a little bit. His sense of humor went up a little bit. His, um, his money, 18%. It was four before. So you got to figure that money grows on us all, I guess. It jumped 12%. So, so again, if you want to stay married, obviously make a little more money. That might help. 
His looks, it dropped 22%, 9%. I mean, you got to live with the times as things go south. And that's fair, right? How often do you and your husband uh, do a date night? Date night? What's that? 41%. Once a week, 21%. Once every few months, 20%. Once a month, 17%. That's, that's horrifying. Horrifying. And you don't need money to do that. Some of us are poor with young kids. I get it. I've been there. You, you can figure something out there. Your top five pet peeves. This is beautiful. I really wish my husband would dot, 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 right? 30% said spend more time with me. That grieves me. That should be the lowest complaint of a godly wife. She should be saying, go play golf. You're bothering me. All right, and then go play golf. It's cool. That's how you get the golf time, by the way. Just listen to her. Love her until she's sick of you. All right, spend more time with me, 30%. Make more money, 27%. Welcome to America. That's horrifying. That's horrifying. Help out around the house, 26%. That's fair. Hit the gym, 12%. You do, it does matter when it starts to hang in the wrong places. And you couldn't have a survey without this. What percent do you think would like him to put the toilet seat down? They brought that up. 5%. That's fair. I'll give it to him. And you hear a splashdown. She's not happy. You, you've, I've, I've done good as a husband. I'll pat myself. My wife's not here this morning, but she'll listen to the tape and say, you're good on that. Listen, pretty good. What do the two of you argue most about? 35% money. 20% household chores. Sex, 18%. That's a good argument. The kids, 17%, and work, 10%. Should divorces get harder to get? This horrified me. No, 50 per, 54%. <laughs> Let me out. Another 46% said yes. Do you consider flirting cheating? Do you consider flirting cheating? Man, the heart. The heart. This is this. I went cold on this one. 60% said no. Look at the idolatry of more, bigger, and better in the church. It's idolatry. It's unfaithfulness. That's all it is. And it reflects the heart. You wouldn't do it in the flesh because you couldn't get away with it. You'd risk too much with the culture and the people and everybody breathing down your back. Your mother might be upset you're cheating on your husband. But can you flirt and get away with it? Yeah. And it's fine. Do you trust your husband? I think this number is bad, by the way. 66% said yes. And 34% said no. Do you trust Christ? The percent that you trust Christ should be the percent that you trust your husband if your husband is loving you the way that Christ loved the church. And Peter's begging us. He's saying change. Not, not for change itself. Yeah, purity is, has its rewards. But change because this world can't tell the difference between who you are and who they are. And if they can't pick you out that you follow Christ out of a lineup and how you're married and how you work and how you serve, They'll never know. They'll never ask. So my prayer this morning, my prayer is that us, that we would take this to heart and see that the motivation, that the chips are high on every front here. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I pray for us as men, pray for myself most, that, um, that you would teach me, that you would use me, you would guide me, that I would be willing to listen that I would be obedient, that I would be disciplined, and that for the sake of all these actions, these things, that you would be glorified 
that my children could see how you love the church through how I treat my wife. Lord, I pray that this would be a prayer that would be screamed from the churches throughout America, that, that the, our current people in, the, in this generation would see a declaration of a love for their spouse, for their wife, that declares that this is the way Christ loved the church. Father, I, I pray, help us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.